Well, good morning, everybody. Um, as you may have noticed, among other things, I'm not Sean Sloan. Uh, I'm Ryan Bobbin, and Sean's out of town this week and next week, and had asked me to fill in for those two weeks. So I'm going to be continuing going through his material uh, so that we don't, uh, you know, lose stride. And so I've got his outline, and you all have his uh, handouts, and that's what we're going to be going over. So nothing uh, new or unique this morning, okay? Uh, so there's that. Uh, the other thing, so far this morning, everybody who has come in has asked me if I went skiing yesterday, and I did not. Uh, went out and got pumpkins, and you can see I wore my sunglasses right here, so, okay? All right. Well, that said, let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer, and then we will dive into our content for this morning, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, we sit here this morning, and Lord, we uh, understand that there is so much about you, Lord, that we have yet to learn. Lord, your word is so full of glorious truths, and we ask this morning, Lord, for your spirit to grant us wisdom and understanding as we look into these truths. Lord, that we would have a proper biblical understanding of the nature and character of Lord, you, your Son, Lord, the Trinity, Lord, all of these things. Lord, that we would have a firm grasp on the fact that, Lord, your Son, Jesus Christ, was indeed preexistent, Lord, prior to all of creation. Lord, that uh, the Holy Trinity, Lord, you have uh, been uh, present for all of eternity, Lord, enjoying yourself. And, Lord, that this is an important thing for us to understand because it affects our salvation. It affects, Lord, uh, the atonement. It affects the cross. Lord, there is indeed nothing that this does not affect. So grant us this understanding, Lord. Uh, I ask that you would grant me words through your spirit uh, to uh, speak to this topic. And Lord, grant all of us ears to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your loving kindness in granting us your word and this understanding. (coughs) It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, handout-wise, you all saw in the back that uh, there's page 11 and 12. And did everybody get a copy of pages 11 and 12? It's front and back. Okay. Uh, Page 11 is what Sean had uh, finished up with last week. And so we're going to do a bit of a, just a short review to kind of get a running start into this week. And I think what you'll find is, is as we look at these things, if you haven't already noticed... The topics that we're talking about, last week, of course, we talked about the Incarnation. This week, we're going to be talking about the preexistence of Christ. And then we're going to move right into uh, defending the deity of Christ. All of these things are so interrelated. I found this past week, as I was looking over Sean's materials and looking over all these other materials that I had, that they are, they are so interrelated that we cannot separate them. Um, you can't talk about the Incarnation without talking about the deity of Christ. You can't talk about the deity of Christ without talking about his preexistence. And these things are so critical for us to understand. And so that said, let's, by way of review, uh, just real quickly sum up what Sean had talked about last week on page 11 there. And really his main points last week uh, had to do with first, the incarnation. And that, of course, we understand it to be that Jesus became God in the flesh through the agency of the virgin birth. And John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, we saw several other examples, one of which 
which I think is so crystal clear in my mind, is the fact that here we have this title for Christ uh, that is Emmanuel, and it means literally God with us. Okay? How could that be more clear that indeed he was the incarnate God? Uh, Sean pointed out that this sets Jesus Christ apart from every other religious figure that we have seen in history. Indeed, he sets us apart, or that sets him apart, from every other human being that has ever been born or ever will be born, because he was the only God-man. None of us can make that claim uh, truthfully. Okay. Uh, the second thing uh, was that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary and did not have a human father. And as I was listening to last week's message, I know there was a bit of discussion about that, uh, and you know the fact that uh, there are you know lines of thinking out there that uh, you know Sean even talked a bit about uh, that allude to the fact that uh, this is one way that we can look at uh, Christ not having a sin nature, because of course his father was God Himself; He didn't have an earthly father. Um, so, uh, just by way of reminder, uh, looking at that, and then lastly, kind of summing those things up. The incarnation and its means, so the virgin birth, are both necessary to the plan of salvation as well as substitutionary atonement. Uh, It was very difficult for me this past week in looking over these things to not go on this big rabbit trail about substitutionary atonement because these matters have everything to do with Christ atoning for our sin on the cross. If Christ was not fully God and fully man, then we have no atonement. Amen? All right. Um, So that said, we could sum that up and say that when we're speaking of the incarnation and the virgin birth, an attack on the incarnation and the virgin birth is a direct attack on Christ's deity uh, as well. And of course, if Christ's deity falls away, then what faith do we have? Where's the rest of our hope? Okay, so a little review of last week's session there. And again, we're going to take a running start. We'll continue today in our study, and this will be on page 12 of your handouts there, uh, with the person of Jesus Christ by delving deeper into what the scripture says about him, uh, in particular about his pre-existence. Uh, I want to begin by asking a question, though, and this stuck in my mind this, uh, this past week as I was looking over these things, and the question is, why is this important? We've alluded to it a little bit, but really, why is it important? Any thoughts? Why is it important that Christ pre-existed? Because if Christ is God, and God always has been, then Christ had to have always been. Right, right, right. So it, it's a direct correlation to Christ's deity, right? If he was not pre-existent, then he certainly could not be uh, deity, he could not be God. So pre-existence is huge. Um, well said, Greg. Um, you know, we must understand that the fact that Christ's work cannot be properly understood with a wrong understanding of his person and his nature. Okay, This is where so many heresies have come out throughout the years. Uh, they were even present in the days of the New Testament church. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of verses in Colossians uh, this week and next week. And one of the things that Colossians is dealing with is one of these heresies where it's talking about the fact that uh, you know there were those out there who doubted and were attacking uh, the deity of Christ. Okay, his pre-existence. They were saying he, he cannot be God. He's, he's just a man or he's some other emanation from God, uh, which is pretty interesting. So we'll, we'll talk about some of those things. Um, so uh, the wrong understanding of the character and nature of God uh, is, again, the, the cause of so many of these heresies. 
as we'll continue to see Jesus is indeed God. Uh, Sean mentioned last week that this very fact distinguishes the believer from the unbeliever. It is that, that uh, understanding of Christology, right? And that is the line of delineation between those who truly know God and those who do not. Okay, so um, I want to mention one other thing here. Uh, I brought a, a resource in and uh, read a couple of things that directly address this piece. And then we'll go in and look a bit more at what uh, Sean's got on page 12. Uh, what I'm reading out of here is a book titled Biblical Christianity. It's by John Calvin. Uh, it's a great read. It's pretty short, and it's very uh, easy to read. Uh, but he talks in here about, uh, in the section, on uh, the necessity for Christ to be both God and man, uh, to be this mediator. A couple of things I want to share with you real quick that I think sum all of this up. Uh, the first short paragraph here is, it says, It was essential for Christ to become man, because mankind was ruined by disobedience. Christ was able, as a man, to obey God, to satisfy the justice of God, and to pay the penalty of sin of mankind. If Christ had only been God and not also man, he could not have experienced death. Yet, death was the penalty for man's sin, and he wanted to pay it for us. If Christ had only been man and not also God, he could not have overcome death. The answer was to take human nature into union with divine nature. Thus, in his human nature, Christ suffered death, and in the power of his divine nature, Christ battled with death and won victory over it for us. Okay? Uh, just glorious words. I was listening to a sermon this last week, and the pastor said, you know, I've never had an original thought, and I'm too proud to have one. Um, <laughs> the Lord won't let me do that. So this morning, we're going to be standing on the shoulders of uh, many other giants, um, Sean Sloan being one of them, okay? Uh, another thing that uh, kind of sums this up that I'll share and then we'll move in uh, to the rest of it is along the same lines, it says, the men who say that Christ was merely man or only God are guilty of serious error. To say that he was only a man takes away his glory. To say that he was only God and not also man robs him of his great kindness and condescension. Teachers of such wrong doctrine are depriving men of the basis of faith. That is so strong. For we can have no forgiveness of sin without Christ, who was both God and man. Okay? So uh, I know that I'm emphasizing this a lot, but I can't overemphasize enough the importance of a true and correct biblical understanding of the nature of Jesus Christ. Okay? So that said, let's go in and take a look at the top of page 12, and we'll see what Sean has uh, put forth for us here, titled, The Preexistence of Christ, What Does the Bible Say? The fact that Jesus, the Son of God, existed before his incarnation upon the earth is a fact that is clearly taught in the Bible. Because Jesus is God, he has always existed, and there was never a time when he had a beginning of days. He was God and with God in the beginning. And we can see here John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, uh, just fortifies this, uh, explains it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Of course, it's important to realize here that who is John speaking about? Jesus, Jesus right? Very clear uh, distinctions and very clear comments and commentary about the nature of Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So uh, the question is, 
what is there that has come into being that was not brought into being by Christ himself? Nothing, right? Uh, we would then uh, affirm and continue that line of thinking and, and affirm that Jesus Christ himself certainly could not have um, come into being by creation because by him, everything that was created came into being. Uh, we'll look at a couple of different uh, heresies uh, briefly this morning that contradict this. Uh, one of them is, uh, a lot of you I know are probably very familiar uh, with uh, the Jehovah's Witness uh, movement out there and their claims that they really truly deny the deity of Christ. Um, they have a form of his preexistence, which I'll, I'll kind of briefly touch on, but it's important to understand uh, those heresies and those aberrant thoughts out there so that we can look at the scripture and realize this is what the scripture truly says. So uh, we'll, we'll be looking at some of those. So things to come. Okay. Uh, continuing on, he therefore existed as God the Son, eternally in heavenly glory, before he came to earth. He was always rejoicing in the perfection of his own nature with the Father and the Spirit for all eternity. He speaks of this glory he had before the world began in the verses that we see below here. John 17:5 says, And now glorify me, glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So what is he claiming here? What is he saying in making this statement? He's saying, well, Lord, you are the Father. Glorify me now with that glory that we had together uh, in our preexistence. Is he not? Is that not a clear statement of Christ's preexistence? Okay. Um, we'll look at some other examples of some verses here in just a moment. Uh, John 8:58 and 59, we'll look at a little bit later. The people that Christ was speaking to in these instances very, had a very clear understanding of what Christ was claiming. And it's interesting to me as I was reading through this and looking even at some of the heresies that have come out that oppose this line of thinking is that if you read the scripture in its context, and I know Sean has been harping on this over and over again, and so I'm going to harp on it over and over again as well, is that we need to have a true biblical understanding about what the Bible says about the person and nature of Christ. Right? We, we can't look to these extra biblical things and try and gain wisdom and understanding about the, the nature of who Christ is if it is indeed contrary to what the Bible says. Okay? Um, along those lines, you'll see here in, in a little bit, we'll look at another verse uh, in 858-59 where the, the people that Christ was speaking to when he's making these types of claims, does anybody know how they responded? Yeah, they they started picking up rocks, right? And why did they do that? Because he was claiming to be God. They knew well enough the Levitical law, uh, Leviticus chapter 24, uh, forget the, the exact verse, but it talks about when you have someone who is blaspheming and is claiming this, then you pick up rocks and you take care of the matter at that moment, right? So they understood it very clearly. Why do we have so much problem when we read the scripture and, and see these things, understanding that this is what he was really claiming. It's very apparent in the original text. So, context, context, context. Uh, second, you'll see uh, we have another verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verses 9 through 10, says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. 
So what is this saying? Well, it's talking about the riches of Christ. Well, what are the riches of Christ? Right? What are the riches that he had? Well, certainly, it would be the fact that prior to creation, he existed in heavenly glory with the Father and the Spirit. Right? Those are the riches of which we're speaking about here. This speaks so directly to the condescension of Christ, to him humbling himself and, and coming to earth as a man uh, so that we might have salvation. Okay? Again, we, you tie these things back to everything else that we look at in God's plan of salvation, and you can see how this is such a linchpin. If we pull this, then what does the cross mean to us? Nothing. Nothing. Okay? So, uh, look at a couple verses already that talk about Christ's pre-existence. We'll look at some more things here. Uh, continuing on, Jesus Christ existed before all created things. And this fact uh, is repeated in Scripture several times. Uh, we see Colossians 1.17 here. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's two things here. We could spend a ton of time on this. And we're going to spend a bit of time on this particular verse this morning. But I want to draw out the fact that you'll see here in this one verse, we see two elements of the nature of Christ. In the first half of the verse, it says, and he is before all things. Okay? Well, just a cursory reading of that, what do you think that means? Joe. Thank you, Joe. It means that he is, he is before all things. Okay? Uh, it's very clearly stated. He is before all things. Okay? So here we have a verse that is directly speaking to the preexistence of Christ. Okay? Before every created thing, Christ was. Okay? The second half of this verse says, and in him all things hold together. Okay? So now, what do you think that is speaking of when it talks about Christ in him all things are holding together? We have, what's that? Okay? His will, the fact that he's God. Actively involved. He's a sustainer. What are all those things descriptive of? God. Deity. Are they not? So here we have, in one verse, the first half explains his preexistence. The second half says, because he was preexistent, he is by definition God, and we can see that he also is now upholding all things by his power. Right? Uh, who else could we ascribe the ability, uh, the omnipotence, to uphold all things other than God himself? Okay? So these verses are very, very... Um, um, clear in what they're uh, they're talking about. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment here. I want to show you this other uh, verse here. Jesus claimed to have existed before Abraham, who lived in 2100 BC. So here we have a verse, John 8:58. Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am." Okay? Is anybody familiar with the statement I am? <laughs> okay? That is a very distinct claim to deity. Okay? We look back and we realize that in Exodus, uh, in uh, Deuteronomy, there are t- those are instances where it is very clear that God himself is saying, this is who I am. I am God. I am the God of, of you know, the Old Testament. I am God of all things. Okay? So that's what Jesus is claiming here. Um, it's important to understand the greater context of this book in the, or this verse in the book of John. Verse 59 continues, and we alluded to this a moment ago. Uh, Verse 59 continues with, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Okay, So why did they pick up these stones to stone him? We talked about this. 
He is claiming to be God. Okay, uh, there, there is, uh, you know, there's, there's no clouding uh, the interpretation of this verse. Okay, um, so certainly it wasn't because he was a good teacher, right? Um, they don't usually stone good teachers. Um, he, maybe it depends. We'll see what happens at the end of today. Uh, sorry, just kidding. Uh, okay, I've digressed. Let's continue. The reason they sought to stone him was because they clearly understood what Jesus was saying, although um, many of us don't today, right? Jesus here is making the claim that he is the Old Testament God of Moses by using the same phrase that is used in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, uh, as well as Deuteronomy 32, 39, a couple of extra verses if you want to check those out, uh, as well as Isaiah 41, 4. So these Jews who knew the scriptures uh, responded accordingly to Leviticus 24:16, and they attempted to stone the one who was blaspheming God. Okay? If they understood Christ's claim and then responded to it in a manner clearly representative of those who had been rep- uh, presented with a man who claimed to be God, why do we have such a difficult time today understanding that this is what Christ was claiming? Uh, it's interesting when we talk about you know this this fact that Christ made these claims. You know, I have heard people make this um, you know the argument that well, you know, Jesus never really overtly claimed deity. He you know he's never claimed that. We can look at these verses and see that it is crystal clear that he did. And the people that he was speaking to at the time understood that that's exactly what he was claiming. You know, uh, one of my all-time favorite things, and this is um, uh, just a, a little aside here. C.S. Lewis talks about this whole argument, and some of you may have, have read it or, or heard about it, but he talks about the fact that uh, you really have three choices when it comes to who Christ is. He's either Lord, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Because the person, any person who would have made the claims, like we see in John 8:58, would not have been a good teacher alone. Christ didn't come and give us that option to just, you know, name him or call him a good teacher, right? All of us would agree that somebody who came in and was claiming these types of things, if they weren't true, he certainly was no good teacher, right? He was either a liar or he was a lunatic. And I think C.S. Lewis actually, in his English wit, says on the same level of a man who thinks he's a poached egg. You know that is that is what we're talking about here. We cannot um, we cannot make that kind of claim that Christ was only a good teacher. He was Lord, or he was completely the opposite. And there is no middle ground between those two. Okay, so uh, these verses again they they discuss this and and really draw this out. Okay, uh, continuing on in your handout there, you'll see uh, talks about even the Old Testament speaks of him existing before eternity. Uh, you'll see Micah 5.2 says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to rule in Israel. And catch this, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Okay? Very, very clear um, uh, allusion to Christ and the fact that Christ's days had no beginning. He is from eternity. Okay. Um, although, of course, many of us here today reading these passages, it might seem obvious that these verses clearly indicate the pre-existence of Christ. 
his oneness with the other two persons of the Trinity. Uh, There are those out there who do not believe, even in light of the clarity of these verses. Among those with such beliefs, like I mentioned earlier, are the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I don't know if any of you have ever had a chance to speak with a Jehovah's Witness. Um, Stace and I actually had uh, an opportunity a little while back uh, with some folks, and uh, it was incredibly eye-opening for us. And it really um, served to draw these things so much clearer for us as we really were forced to look at the Word and say, wow, what does the Scripture say about the deity of Christ? Because here's the, here's the scary thing, and, and we'll talk about this, but you'll find that those who have aberrant beliefs, those who uh, do not uh, believe in the deity of Christ, oftentimes will still take the same scriptural passages that we're looking at, and they'll apply them to make their own case against the deity of Christ. Okay, So it is incredibly important that when we look at the scripture, we realize that we need to go in and um, be very cautious, very careful about how we're studying these passages. Okay, We need to make sure we're doing that due diligence uh, because, like we've mentioned up to this point, so much hinges on it. Um, uh, that said, uh, they do not believe that Jesus is divine. Uh, this would be one of the heresies we could look at and even go so far as to use these same verses to draw that out. Um, of course, uh, the, direct, or the correct interpretation of uh, these verses that we're looking at, uh, in particular, let's go back. I want to look at Colossians, that Colossians verse, uh, Colossians 1, uh, 17. If we look at it within the greater context of the book of Colossians and um, you know who uh, it was being written to, as well as the verses that surround it, okay? so we're not going to just look at verse 17. Let's go back a little bit. Let's look at verse 16 and 17 and get kind of a running start into what we're looking at here. Okay. So if we go back, we look at verse 15 and 16 and we kind of run into verse 17. Verse 15 starts with, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And then, of course, we would go in and we could see uh, verse 17 continues um, that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Okay, So uh, this truth is just born beautifully in this passage. Uh, You'll see Christ is indeed the preeminent one, because he is God, very God, that existed prior to all of creation, and he was the one through whom and for whom all of creation was made. Right? We saw that. Then we continue on and we see at the end of verse 17 that in him all things hold together. Okay? So how can these things be true and Jesus Christ not be full deity? A mere man or even some kind of um, you know, angelic principality does not have these attributes to be able to create all of everything created as well as sustain all those things after they've been created. Okay? Um, so, can this mean anything other than Christ is fully divine? Indeed, who could hold all things together but the sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent creator? All of these characteristics are attributed to Jesus Christ in this one passage alone. 
Okay, Don't miss that. Uh, so oftentimes, and I know I do it, I know that Sean talks about it uh, and you know, other, other instances, and the fact that we read our Bibles sometimes and we just kind of get you know, scrolling through and we're reading and, and we don't pause to consider what does this really mean? This one passage, three verses, is so clear in its drawing out and it's, it's just bold proclamation of the nature of Christ. Okay? His preexistence, his deity, his omniscience. Okay? Don't miss these things uh, as you're reading uh, through these passages. Uh, so, uh, not to mention the fact that God takes great care in laying out the second part of verse 16 um, to give specific examples of every created thing that could be fathomed. Um, this is a great question for Joe McBroom. How, what does all things mean? It means all things, right? But consider the wisdom of God as he lays this passage out. And go back and look at this real quickly. Okay, verse 16. For by him all things were created. Okay, as if that weren't enough, right? As if we couldn't understand all things were created by him. Uh, it continues, both in the heavens and on the earth. Okay, so whatever's in the heavens was created by God, Christ, right? Whatever's in the earth was created through Christ. Okay, um, what about visible and invisible? Yes, so if it's visible or if it's invisible, it was created by Christ, right? Okay, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Okay, so here, of course, he's, he's directly speaking about um, the, the angelic uh, realms, the principalities, these types of things. This is very important to understand, especially when you're dealing with someone who does not believe in the deity of Christ, uh, that they somehow are ascribing to him um, something that is perhaps more than a mere man, but not quite divine which is what Jehovah's Witnesses actually will. That's what their doctrine teaches. They actually believe that, in some sense, Christ was preexistent in the form of Michael, the archangel. Okay? And they say, well, yeah, he was created, right? And they'll use some of these verses that we're actually even looking at to, to draw that conclusion. But then they say, well, yes, he was preexistent, but he was preexistent in the form of a created angelic being who then came to earth and humbled himself and became this agent by which God is going to you know, bring salvation to men. The scripture does not teach that at all. Okay? There's nowhere in the scripture that even remotely uh, leads us to believe that truth or that, that thought. Okay? So be aware of these things. Okay? To, to ascribe to Christ anything less than full deity and full humanity is um, wrong. Okay? It is not biblical. So be cautious out there. So uh, he's drawing this very clear picture about all things that have ever been created, um, and he leaves nothing out, right? So it's not like we could say, well, that was something and it's invisible, so Christ couldn't have created it. He addresses that. It's invisible, right? Uh, we can't see it, even those things he's created. Okay? So there is no category um, that, that uh, is excluded there. Okay? So Jesus also, uh, continuing on page 12 there, Jesus also claims to have come down from heaven. That is, before he walked the earth, he was in heaven with God. And we see several verses that draw this out. So let's look at those for a few minutes. Uh, John 3.13 says, And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. Okay, uh, We had the, uh, the blessing of having uh, Tim actually go through uh, these 
passages here in John 3 not too long ago. It's been, what, probably a few, couple months, a few months now that he's been there. Uh, the context of this particular verse is that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, right? And as I know most of you recall, this experience that Christ has with Nicodemus, he's trying to explain salvation to him. He's trying to explain these very basic tenets of who he is and what it means to be saved, what it requires to be saved. And of course, as we see, Nicodemus is just, you know, kind of in awe and can't comprehend these things. And even at that time, Christ says, you know, you who are a teacher, you still don't understand these basic elements about salvation. Um, but here he's saying, um, he who is one who has ascended, uh, or no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. Um, Christ oftentimes, um, all the time, actually, you'll see if you read through uh, the scripture and the gospels, you'll see that he is referring to himself as a son of man. So here he is saying um, that I've descended from heaven. That's where I came from. Okay? None of us can say that that is true of ourselves. Okay? None of us descended from heaven. Okay? This um, draws a very clear distinction and sets Christ apart in a very important way because he is descended from heaven. We'll, we'll talk about some other verses that continue to even draw this out more. Uh, you'll see the first one, or the, the second one there. John 3.31 says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Okay? Uh, the context of this verse, um, if you go back and you look at it, uh, here we have an interaction uh, with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is speaking of Christ here. And he is saying that he... Christ is the one who uh, is above all because he has come from heaven, right? So John the Baptist, who, of course, we all know was sent to pave the way, right, to, to make way uh, for the Messiah, is saying, this man, Jesus Christ, has come from heaven. He is the one. He is the Messiah. Um, and so he's very clearly speaking about uh, Christ coming down from heaven and having that kind of pre-existence. Uh, continuing on, you'll see John 6.38 for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay, so again, Christ making a very clear declaration that I have come down from heaven. Okay, um, As we've seen earlier, those who are listening to these things, uh, it, you know, for the most part, this wasn't something that was bringing them terrific joy. Oftentimes, they were looking at this and saying, how can this be? This, you know... This man is speaking about things that he shouldn't be talking about. You know, he's um, making claims that he shouldn't be making. So they understood in the context of who he was speaking to exactly what Christ was making claims of. Uh, last there in this little section of verses, you'll see John 6, 62. What then, if you, should, uh, shoot, if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before? Right? So here's Christ, and he's saying, okay, so I've come from heaven. What will you say then if I return to where I've came from? Right? He is, again, clarifying and making these, um, these claims that I have come from heaven. This is where I have come from. I pre-existed. Right? There's, there's other verses we're going to look at that, that even further draw this out. Uh, so this was also affirmed by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47. You've got that there in your handout. It says the first man is from earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. 
Okay, Paul, of course, very clearly talking about Christ here as the second man. We have this distinction drawn between um, the first man being Adam and the second man being Christ. And uh, there's so much that we could delve into there uh, that we just don't have the time to this morning. But um, again, Christ is from heaven. So when the Bible speaks about Jesus, it says he came down from God and was sent by God the Father to us. That is, he was with God in the beginning and left heaven to come down to earth and live and walk among us. Matthew 10.40 says, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Okay? So what is Christ saying here? Okay? The very end of this verse, he's talking about the fact that he has been sent from God the Father. Okay? He's not doing this on his own initiative. Uh, he is doing this by the will of the Father. Okay, So uh, the Father is the one who sent Christ. And of course, we would understand that to be because they had fellowship in heaven prior to all things being created. Right? Okay, so start putting these things together that way. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 42. Uh, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Okay? Again, another clear statement. I have come from God. I will be returning to God. Okay? Uh, John 16, 28. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. Okay? I know that a lot of these verses read very similar, and I don't want to belabor the point, but it just goes to show you that we have so many verses that just repeat the same truths over and over again. Okay, So it's not like we're looking at one passage and we're drawing an entire doctrinal stance on just what one verse says. We can look at the entirety of Scripture and see that God has just laid this whole thing out about this aspect of the nature of His Son, Jesus Christ. So, all of this happened by God's plan. At the perfect moment in history, in the fullness of time, so that God's plan could be fulfilled and we could be redeemed. Uh, you'll see there Galatians 4.4 4 is what we're making reference to. Uh, states, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Okay, So, again, I know Sean has talked about this quite a bit. We talk about this fullness of time, right? In the plan of God, God knows this is the time that I have preordained that I'm going to send my son into the world. I'm indeed going to condescend and God is going to come in human flesh and the plan of salvation uh, in, in that sense, right? And actually, this is a great time to take a look at this chart, right? Everybody have this chart that Sean had uh, provided? Okay. There's a couple of these. Make sure you're looking at the one that is titled The Pre-Existence of Christ. Okay. By the way, I don't know about you all, but I really enjoy these charts. Um, they are so helpful to me. But what you'll see here is everything that we've been talking about this morning, and I think it really does a good job at tying all this together. Uh, you'll see off to the far left here, you've got this star. We have Jesus, God the Son, and our description there is Jesus Christ is God the Son and has existed forever in heavenly glory, right? So we've been spending our time this morning uh, establishing that fact out of the Scripture, looking at all these verses that, that um, you know, um, prove that, that statement. 
Okay, so prior to creation, Christ has existed with the rest of uh, the Trinity in uh, existence there. Okay, so uh, following your kind of arrow over here, right off to the right, Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. Okay, we saw that uh, borne out in the verses that we looked at here, where uh, it was in Christ all things have been created, right? And we looked at all things and what that means. So at creation, uh, through Christ and for him, all of creation has come about. Okay, uh, Then you can, of course, see we have uh, our Old Testament, fall of man, the flood, uh, Moses and the law, uh, Jesus Christ uh, down below is God incarnate in uh, the baby born in Bethlehem, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. Okay, So again, drawing what we talked about last week in the incarnation and the importance there, we now see that the God-man has come onto the scene in human history. Okay? Uh, of course, then we can see uh, the cross, and as Sean has been talking about there, the cross is the focal point in all of human history. It is the, the central piece of everything that um, you know we need to be aware of. Okay? He also reiterates in here a couple of verses we've already looked at this morning. Uh, Colossians uh, 1, 16 through 17. And again, just reiterating the fact that Christ has always existed and that he has indeed created all things. Okay, um, Again, by definition, if Christ has created all things, he cannot be created himself. It's a very simple statement, but it is so profound. Okay, So consider those things. All right, so uh, where are we at here? Okay, so this... Uh, we looked at Galatians 4.4, talk about the fullness of time and really how this chart bears that out as we see it in relation to our own human history, right? Uh, born of woman, born under the law. Um, if you are interested in doing your own little study about some of these um, you know, further um, truths that are born out in these verses, uh, we've already looked a little bit at the fact that Christ was born of a woman and the Immaculate Conception, the Virgin Birth and all these things. Uh, but it also, at the end of that verse in Galatians 4.4, 4, talks about the fact that he was born under the law. Uh, that right there is a really important little tidbit. If you want to go in and really you know, try and wrap your brain around salvation and consider that, take a look at what it means for Christ to be under the law and how that affects us in our salvation. A uh, lot, of, lot of depths to plumb uh, just in verses like that. All right, so... Uh, in this doctrine of the pre-existence of Christ, we clearly see that Jesus is not like us. He is indeed the Lord of eternity from outside of time and space. There is no one like him. Okay. Um, real quickly, uh, there are, uh, I was looking over this past week, some of the other materials um, that I had and that Sean had provided, and I think sometimes we get... Uh, so used to kind of our own um, circle of fellowship and we, you know, understand that, yes, we have, you know, those in our body who we have, you know, uh, a like understanding about these things. Uh, and we can sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that, well, you know, all those under the, the umbrella of Christianity or evangelicalism also believe these truths. And I think that most of us are, you know, mature enough in the faith to realize that that's not the case. Uh, some of the studying and the reading I did this last week, uh, there are those who are even in the faith movement nowadays uh, who uh, don't agree with these truths. They've actually made statements about the fact that 
um, you know, you've got a lot of those who are actually claiming to be little gods themselves. Okay, the statement that we just made here that Jesus Christ is not like us. Okay, that is a profound statement. Okay, we are not little gods. Okay, <laughs> that is aberrant theology. Okay, it is wrong. It's heretical. Uh, there's another guy out there who's um, by the name of Charles Cap. I don't know if anybody's heard of him. Uh, he is actually um, in with, um, what's his name? Uh, Kenneth Copeland and those guys. And he has made statements uh, that deny the preexistence of Christ. Okay? Uh, one of his statements, he actually talks about, of course, they've got this whole line of thinking about you know, being able to speak things into existence by the power of faith and all this. And he actually makes the assertion that God the Father actually brought Jesus Christ about by some kind of word of faith. And that's how Christ was created. Okay? So there are dangerous ideas out there that are in conflict with what the Bible says about the preexistence and the deity of Christ. Okay? So we cannot be too careful about uh, who we are you know, reading and listening to and, and um, things that they're purporting as truth. So be cautious, saints. All right. So uh, we cannot overemphasize the importance of returning to what we mentioned at the start of our uh, session this morning. And that's what Sean's been driving home the entirety of this year. Uh, I know that, I mean, it is his bandwagon. And that is we must go to the scripture alone to see what the Bible says about these things. Okay? We must also, secondly, be very careful about how we read and we interpret these things. Okay? There are those out there who may have had... Um, you know, intentions of going in and studying the Bible and finding out what God's word really has to say about it. But we cannot understand the Bible as we wish it to be. We have to understand it in the context of what God has intended it to say. Okay? Um, You know, you see a lot of these heresies out there, and every single one of them, I know that we've talked about this before, stems from a misunderstanding or a misrepresentation of the character and nature of God. Okay? Oftentimes... Human beings, we make those kinds of, uh, of assumptions, we make those kinds of um, interpretations because we are uncomfortable with a particular truth that is outlined in Scripture. Okay? And just because we're uncomfortable with it doesn't mean that we can dismiss it or that we can mold it to make it fit within our own theological glasses. Okay? The Scripture says what it says, and we need to read it and believe it as it's intended by God. Okay? So can't overemphasize that enough. Uh, a couple of the things here that we'll draw out. How are we doing on time? Ten, what time do I have to quit? 10.30? Okay. Look out. All right. Uh, I would like to also look at a few other passages. Um, and in particular, actually, I do want to go back a little bit to Colossians 1.17 because there's a couple of other things I want to draw out real quickly. And then we'll go ahead and close uh, here real quick. Okay. Um, One of the things that uh, I saw in this and uh, that really has direct implications on the preexistence and the deity of Christ, uh, of course, which is our topic, is how some interpret this verse versus how this verse should properly be interpreted. And uh, you'll see here that um, there are those out there that exchange the meaning in these verses um, before all things, right? So we have this verse that says before all things. And we have also a phrase that talks about Christ being the firstborn. Okay? It's an important distinction to make so we understand what these two um, 
um, you know, kind of snippets of scripture mean. Okay, um, there are those out there who will say that the before all things, instead of reading it as before all things, right? Before being prior to something happening, they'll take that and they will not use it as or not interpret it with a literal interpretation, but they'll interpret that as a, an idea of preeminence, right? He was before all things, right? So um, this idea that Christ is now somehow higher above all things, which certainly we wouldn't disagree with the fact that Christ is indeed beyond and uh, all other things are subservient to him. However, in this context, we have a very clear distinction between these two, right? Um, we have uh, the word before, as we're talking about before all things in Colossians 1.17. If you go in and do a little bit of study on this, you'll find that the word used for before in its context, um, in, the, in the Greek version there, the Greek word, is the same word used in several other passages that clearly and undeniably refer to something happening or existing prior to a given point in time. Okay, a couple of examples, John 11.55, as well as John 13.1. And if you really want to see a full list of all the places that the scripture uses this word in this sense, uh, if you are familiar with Strong's, uh, you can go in and use uh, the, the strong number for that word is 4253. I went in and did a search on my little power Bible at home, and there were um, 30 plus different passages where it talks about this word being used exactly as it is used in this passage. And every single one of them has to do with, it was before this. It was before they went into this city. It was before this. It is before a given point in time. It never, in, in these cases has anything to do with the idea of this preeminence, right? Or this, um, this idea that Christ is above all things, okay? There are other verses that speak about Christ being above all things, okay? And we can clearly understand those uh, as they are. But don't, don't get these two confused because there's an important distinction to make. Uh, and our, our Christology depends on us doing it properly. Uh, along these lines, Albert Barnes comments on Colossians 1.17, and he says... And he was before all things, as he must be. If he created all things, those, regard, those who regard this as referring to a moral creation interpret it as meaning that he has preeminence over all things, not referring to his preexistence. Okay? So by comparing the verses uh, above, uh, those examples that I gave you, and then if you want to go in and look at even more, uh, you know, using Strong's, you will find that it is very clear that this passage is not talking about Christ's preeminence, but his preexistence. Okay? Barnes continues and says, It is equivalent to saying that he was eternal. For he that had, the existence, had an existence before anything was created must be eternal. Thus, it is equivalent to the phrase, In the beginning, Genesis 1.1. Okay? So we are drawing this same um, this, um, this parallel between Christ uh, being described here as before all things, and we can draw that right back to before all things. Genesis 1.1, okay? in the beginning. Prior to, in the beginning, Christ was. Okay? So important distinctions to make. Uh, so it is inconsistent with many uh, other affirmations in Scripture, uh, many of which we've looked at this morning, that Jesus did indeed predate uh, all of creation. And on top of that, all of creation was the result of his omnipotent creative work for his own purposes, 
in harmony with the rest of the Godhead before the foundations of the earth. Okay, Very, very important things to understand. Uh, second, uh, as we're kind of looking at this verse and trying to draw out a proper understanding of it, um, before all things, uh, if it is interpreted figuratively, then we have a problem as we continue on in Colossians and we look at verse 18. Everybody look at verse 18 real quick. Okay, Verse 18 says, He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Okay, So here's the problem. In verse 18, we see that Christ is described as being the firstborn from the dead. Okay, so I have a question for you. Christ died on the cross and he was resurrected. Was he the first one who had been resurrected from the dead? No. Right? He himself resurrected Lazarus. Lazarus, did he not? Okay. Uh, we have other examples of those who have risen from the dead. So if we interpret the first part of this and we say, well, um, we're going to figuratively say that um, you know, Christ is you know, before all things. Bless you. And then we look at verse 18. We can look at this and say, well, uh, you know, we need to understand this properly. Christ certainly was not the firstborn from among the dead. Right? However, what it is speaking of here is the fact that he was the firstborn among the dead in the sense that, as it says in the verse here, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything, so that he could conquer sin, he would be the head of the church, all of these types of things. Okay, So, again, reading these things in context is incredibly important. Okay, And having a, a good um, understanding of, of proper hermeneutics and all those things. Okay, So, yeah, okay, I got like three minutes. Okay, so I'll tell you what, that said... We're at a great place to stop. Okay, so uh, by way of review, what did we talk about this morning? Pre-existence. Jesus is God, right? And uh, any verses that we could look to that would confirm this claim? Okay, Colossians 1.17, right? We can look at John 8.58, okay? Uh, John 1, okay? John, 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 right? I would encourage you all, uh, and I've been convicted myself, and it has been a, you know, when you when you are asked to present or to teach these truths to others, uh, I, I feel bad for you all because I'm the one who learned the most. And, um, you know, it, is, it has been on my heart that I don't know these verses as well as I should. I don't understand the implications of these verses as well as I should. And so it is critical that we don't just take this and leave this morning and forget about it, but that we spend some time. I would encourage you to take some of these verses, and if you have not already, commit them to memory, okay? Because they're, they're of the most critical importance when we're talking about who Christ is. And should you be presented with an opportunity to share with someone who has a different view, you will at that point be uh, so much better equipped that the Spirit will be able to bring these things to your remembrance and you can really draw out uh, the importance of Christ's deity and his preexistence. Okay? So, thank you all for your time. Let's close in prayer and uh, we'll head upstairs. Dear Lord, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity this morning to look to your word, Lord, and to see more of who you are. Lord, we're grateful for the understanding that you have granted us, Lord, in any measure this morning as we have understood your preexistence better than we did when we came in. Lord, it is so critical for us to have a right view of you. 
Lord, and the right view, of course, is the biblical view. Lord, thank you for your word and, Lord, its uh, faithfulness. Lord, for its uh, truthfulness. Lord, also for its clarity. Lord, that we can look at these things and that, uh, Lord, as we truly examine them, uh, they are clear. Lord, these are not things that are hidden from us, from our understanding. Lord, if we truly seek you and your spirit to reveal them to us. Lord, we ask that the, the content of what we've looked at today would not just go in one of our ears and out the other, but, Lord, that it would remain with us, that we would consider these things as we leave. Lord, we would mull them over, and, Lord, ask that your spirit would continue to reveal new corners of these truths, Lord, that we have yet to find. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity this morning. We pray also that as we go upstairs and listen to your word preached again, that, Lord, our ears would continue to be open and our hearts would be, Lord, open to understanding. Lord, grant us, uh, Lord, just humility in understanding these things as well. Lord, and grant us the faith and the uh, ability to apply these truths. Lord, as we share with others, as we minister to others, Lord, that you might be glorified. We love you. It's in your precious Son's name, who is indeed fully God and fully man. Amen. Amen.